great to be here with you. It's great to be worshiping with you. It's great to be lifting up our God. Man, we are in a series called In Living Color, In Living Color, where we're looking forward to what it means to have a vibrant walk with Christ. Not just a, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Not, everybody say not that. Like, not that. Not just, uh, you know, I've been to church a lot, and I kind of know the gist, and I know how to say the language of church. Not that. Everybody say, not that. Dude, it isn't talking it. It isn't faking it. It isn't claiming I know a little bit about it. It's, Lord, I long to know you. And I long to be rocked by you, and I long for you to do a work in me that I might experience a vibrant, living walk with my Savior. Life with Christ. It's world-altering. It's life-shaping. Are you ready to go after it? Right, as we go into a walk in living color, Lord Jesus, we long for you to change and shape our lives. And, uh, so as we work with the theme in living color. Uh, each of the sermon titles kind of going with that viewpoint towards what an artist would talk of. And so today's is called A Splash of Love. A Splash of Love. Man, there is no way to experience a vibrant walk with Christ without the love of God Almighty pouring into you, filling you up, and pouring out of you onto the streets. There is no way. Our God is love. Please hear me. It does not say God is loving, right? It says God is love. Everybody just say God is love. And there's so much to process with that. God is love. Every single facet of care and compassion towards another is rooted and grounded in God himself. He is love. And so today we're talking about a splash of love and what that looks like. So let's get started as we turn to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Ephesians 5, starting in verse 1. The first point here, walk like Jesus in sacrificial love. Walk like Jesus in sacrificial love. Man, if we are going to taste of a splash of love in our lives, we're going to have to walk like Christ, sacrificially. We're going to have to grasp what that is and what that means. So as we jump into Ephesians 5 here, he starts out, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He starts out, therefore. And when we see the therefore, we say, What's a therefore, therefore? It's a connecting word, and it's looking backward into what was just said, and it's looking forward to a call to action. And for sure, this is looking across all four chapters. For sure, this is looking at the theology and the doctrine and the richness and the deepness of all that we have through Christ. For sure that. But also, right before chapter 5, the last verse, it says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Why? As God in Christ forgave you. He's like, let's grasp this for a moment. Take a second to just realize how much you've been forgiven of. Grasp Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you. Grasp the sin that so easily entangles you. 
the sin that you love to embrace in a moment because it feels good, whatever it is, in some way asserting self and making about self. Christ died for that sin and for you. And forgiveness is had because of Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. He makes it clear we've been forgiven, so now we can be sharing out this forgiveness, right? So then we start out chapter 5. Therefore, like as we grasp our sin and as we grasp forgiveness and as we grasp all that Christ does for us, there is no going forward without grasping that. Get that bottom foundation nailed. Christ and his sacrifice and his love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Be imitators of God. That word imitator there in the original language literally has the word mimic built into it. Like make sure you look like your God. Make sure you act like your God. Make sure you respond like your God. But it isn't faking it. It isn't meant to be kind of a It's not even close, but I'm just going to try to muster this up. I'm going to try to clean up the outside, even though the inside is a train wreck, right? Everybody say, not that. Like, it's not that. It's I long to be able to have him do a work in me. I long for him to shape my heart, transform my soul. One degree of glory to the next. Man, we are called to a singular purpose, progress. Not sanctification to purification here on this side where it's absolute perfection. Right? We start using all these words, we throw it all together, and in the end we go out and we're like, I should never sin again. But in fact, 1 John says, he who says he's without sin, well, he's lying. And he's not doing the truth. And it's a huge deal. We have to grasp that we are going to wrestle with it this side of heaven. Progress, not perfection, is what we're going after. And And as we go after this, Lord, may there be progress in a way where I look more like you. And Lord, transform my heart so I know what to go after. Man, please hear me. This is not saying what would God act like, now go act like him. Right? It's not saying that. It's saying know him personally and have him shape and change you so that you can literally be him because he's within you making a move and an impact. That's what it's talking about. Like, have you ever gone to see a, an imitator, somebody who's like a comedian, and he's doing different imitations of people? He's like, all right, now I'm going to do President Trump. And then he says, just so you know, though, I've never seen him. I've never heard him. I've never listened to him. I'm just going to make it up. I'm just going to give it a shot. Like, most likely, that imitation is going to be horrible, Right? Imitation requires a lot of studying, a lot of knowledge, a lot of information, but more than that, it actually involves some level of personal change in you as you begin to be shaped and transformed to run after him. Imitation, man, make sure that you grasp that you can't imitate what you do not know. May we know our Savior with all we've got. May we grasp him in different ways and go after it where the Spirit is changing us. It says, being imitators of God as beloved children. Like, this is not a call to the world. Like, hey world, I know you're unsaved. Just start acting like Jesus. Like, that's a terrible plan. That is not the goal. This is the call for those who are children of God. If you are saved, 
you are a child of God. If you are saved, you are adopted into his family. If you are saved, he has declared you his. You are his, man. And moment by moment, in various ways, him working with you to be able to reflect into you who he is. That's what it's all about. As beloved children, you are like a mirror. You're like a child who acts like their parent. You are reflecting out your God as you grasp more and more of who he is. And I'm telling you, our imitation will be ever getting better as we get to know Jesus Christ personally. And make sure you are walking with him. Make sure you are spending time with him. Make sure you're spending time in his word going, Lord, how is it that you respond and act? What is it that you value? Show me who you are that we might be able to be imitators of God as beloved children. Then it says, and walk in love. This word and here, it's a connecting word and it can have a various levels of meaning. In this case, probably more saying like by walking in love. Instead of it being just a second thing you need to go after, like be an imitator of God and walk in love. It's not two different things. It's probably more like be an imitator of God and like let me connect this together by doing the following. Walk in love. If you want the number one thing that needs to be in your life to be an imitator of God, that word is love. There is no way you're imitating God if you're absent or devoid of love. Love, it's a complex word. Why? Because our society has taken it hostage in so many ways. Love. Love has become some definition of a feeling that you get inside, but only for about 18 to 24 months after you've met someone and you have this fancy little feeling thing going on. And then that sort of fades into like we really know each other well and those feelings subside. And a lot of people, honestly, they're like, maybe I fell out of love. They start using that word, fell out of, fell into, like it's an accident, you know? Like I stumbled and I tripped and oops, I'm in love. And the Like, that's how society speaks of that word. And I'm just telling you, love is never on accident. Never. Never, never, never. That's a total miss of the word. And I get that there are feelings and they're trying to describe those feelings and I'm all for grasping realities of life. But I'm telling you, the the word love here, and this is the word agape, this means sacrificial care for another. It will always be intentional, purposeful. It will have a value statement about who they are. To walk, like we've talked about that word several times over, right? It's a daily action. It's a thought. It's a behavior. It's like the whole of who you are. Your walk, it's everything you're about, everything you're doing throughout the entirety of your day is your walk, okay? And uh, he's like, make sure that the all of you, the everything of you, your actions, your thoughts, your behaviors, will make sure they're rooted in intentional, sacrificial care. That's what he's saying. And uh, He's like, make sure that love is the value statement you're going after. If you want to imitate God, well, God is love. So then you are love. That's your goal. To go after it with all you've got in every way possible. And uh, love, if I were to summarize it in just a few words, 
their best at your cost. Their best at your cost. Super important we grasp that because often we're like, um, they're feeling good, no cost to me, love. Like, I hope you feel better. I want you to feel in a moment a little better, right? I long for that. I'm fanning the flame on your feel goods, but it really shouldn't cost me too much. Like, that's what I'm trying to give into that. That is an F that completely misses. Their best. By the way, sometimes if it's best, it may not even feel best in the moment. It may not feel like it's the sweetest thing, but it's the something that's the best for them in the moment. That's real love. You're not just looking for a feel-good expression in them appreciating you as a human being and you get to go home and say they like me, which is a wonderful feeling. When you get to say, hey man, we get along really well. It's sweet how that person respects me and I respect them and that's great. And then there are times where you need to actually bring the love that's actually so concerned for their well-being that you're lifting up their best even though right now that's not a word they want to hear as you're challenging them in a step they need to take that's going to be a tough one. Love. And parents, please hear me. Super important that we grasp the definition of love. And uh, the world is teaching a giant child-centered home that has the question, how do you feel right now, honey, built all over it. And just be super careful with that. Like it isn't wrong to be so tuned into how they're feeling that you care for them. Like it's really good to know how they're feeling. But sometimes their feelings aren't what's most important and you're walking them parents through a tough moment and you're willing to bring that, that is so important that in your home, there is the totality of love that is for their best, not just for their feelings. Ready? And all of God's people said, (laughs) super important we get that. Because as we raise our homes up, we've got to make sure that we go after what's best for our fam, and what's best for our Lord along the way. And uh, to walk in love, it's their best at your cost. And, and um, you know, I just thought I'd write down a few of the words coming out of 1 Corinthians 13. If you want a definition of love, if you're like, I don't know if I really get it all. Maybe I should study it more. 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 through 8 has a ton of definition work on what love is in various ways, shapes, and forms. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Here's a few of them. Uh, patient. We talked about that word last week. It literally has built into it the word long or much. Much suffering, long suffering. Like we talked about last week, you're really, we talk about patient like, man, I'm putting up with, I mean, you know, until it starts to hurt a little bit. Then I'm like, had enough, right? And just so we're clear, that's actually not patient. Patient is when there is pain, we're still holding in there. Long suffering is built into the word. If there's been no pain, you're like right up until the point where there's pain. And then, well, all you're doing is a little bit of toleration. But patience is where there is some level of pain in it. I'm hurting along with. This is taking a hit for me. Patience. That's real patience. And first love is patient. You're going to be willing to take a hit for them. And it may even cost for their best. Okay, patient. Second, kind. This word 
actually means willing, helpful, kind. Like I'm laying it on the line. I care for them. I'm going to bring it gently, but I'm walking through what's needed. Helpful, coming alongside, kind. Um, Then there's some nots. Not envious. Not envious. So my wife and I were talking about this week and this this week, and she said, you know, I, I flipped it around and made some positives out of it. It's a great way to walk after it when you're talking about love. Not envious. That's one way to think of it, right? Where you see something that someone else has and you long for that kind of thing. But uh, maybe another way to talk about envy, this is where you just can't get satisfied. You have to have something else. Where you're at is not good enough. And so I just wrote, a good word here is satisfied. Satisfied. Love is satisfied. Love in the moment is willing to be able to go for a ride along with and be satisfied with who you are, who you're with, and what God's doing one degree at a time. Dude, it is not long, wrong for us to long for perfection, but understanding that in the midst, God is doing something. And so where we are right now, and I'm good with this, love is satisfied. Not longing for more in a greedy way, but ready to have God glorified. Uh, not boasting, right? This is where you're like, I'm so awesome, right? Where you sell yourself. And so love is not selling self. Love is actually looking to lift up others. And not boasting. You don't walk in the room and you're like, dude, you know what I did today? Like, that's not really love when the sentence starts out with I and me and aren't I awesome and and you're just looking for them to respond back with, you really are so awesome. Just so you know, that's not a love moment, okay? Maybe it's a love yourself moment, but it's not a love moment, right? Like we're, we need to actually be going after the other person and, and celebrating and selling self, not what it's about. Not insisting on its own way. This is where you're like, I don't care what you want, I know what I want. And so maybe the, here's the best way to say it. Love is team. Love is partnership. Right? Love is caring for the other person, not just what's inside of you. Making sure that there's a true partnership along the way. Making there's a full partnership along the way. Or here's another one. Love is not irritable or resentful. You know, that, that snipping, that jumping, that raising up the tone or raising up the voice in order to shut someone else down so you can get what you want. Like, that's not love. Maybe here's another way to say it positively. Love is even-tempered. Even-tempered. Love is cool, if you want to say it that way. And just steadied. Love is calmed. There's so much care for the other person, right? So often we rise up when something inside of us just got stepped on, and we're like, no, you didn't. And we come in, and that's the problem that goes on. Love really does have to be even-tempered. And uh, God is love. We are striving to be loving. Super important you grasp the difference. And as God is changing us one degree at a time, we have a chance to be more and more loving, right? And there are moments that we will have to repent of. And uh, just know that. Like, I get that there's times I'm going to have to say I'm sorry. And uh, I'm just telling you, if you look at this list and not envious, not boastful, not insisting on its way, not uh, irritable or resentful. And, uh, and there's times where you're going to use the words, I'm sorry. Love will apologize. Absolutely. 
And if you're like, I don't say I'm sorry, get used to it, man. Well, I try to at least, at least once a year, I try to say I'm sorry. <laughs> say it more often, a lot more. I'm thinking if you can get to daily, you're starting to grasp how often you've stepped on somebody else, okay? Like for reals, you're like, no, not me. You may want to ask your spouse first, right? Just for reals, man. I'm telling you, it happens regularly. Consider that. Be daily and regular in the, I'm sorry. Like it looked like that just hurt. Are you okay? Be able to get through that conversation and care along the way. Right? Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not insisting on its own way, it's not irresistible. Here's a list at the end that's all positive. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that's love. It's never too much. I'm here with you. Love bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all. Those are some phenomenal words. And does that make up who you are? Are you being loving to those around you? May we walk in love. Everybody just say, walk in love. That's where we're headed, okay? Super complex and yet super simple all at once. It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And you're like, well, how do I know how to love? I'm just telling you, the more we tap into gospel message, the more we grasp God Almighty, Jesus, perfect, stepped down in sacrifice, walked in a journey of perfection here for you, for you, specifically for you. As he went to the cross and the nails went in and pierced for you, for the sin that you would so easily choose, for you. Your God loves you with all he's got. Jesus Christ, he died for you. He rose for you. And as life was declared and as the angels celebrated, life set aside for you. And for you to begin to grasp, Jesus died for me. He rose for me. I've been forgiven. Man, I'm telling you this. I will not live like that didn't happen. That has affected my soul and I will live now like it's true. I am forgiven. Down with sin and up with my Savior. It is time for him to get all the glory. And all of God's people said, man, I'm telling you every moment we hold back on love and every moment we start going after self, every moment we get defensive, know this, we've stopped saying, Lord, it's all about you. And we've started saying, now it's all about me. That's absolutely fact. Watch yourself and be super careful. May you celebrate your Savior. He has died for you and he has risen for you and he gave himself up for you. It says, as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. These are really Old Testament terms talking about sacrifice that was made as a fragrant offering, the aroma that would come up as the burnt offering was made the fragrant offering, the aroma coming up, and then the sacrifice that covers sin. Jesus Christ, he is your hope of relationship with your King Almighty forever, Jesus Christ. He is the reason that you can connect with your God for eternity. 
He is the reason there is perfection, Jesus Christ. That's our hope. May we go after it with all we've got. You know, uh, this past week has been a huge week across college campuses and high schools everywhere and coming up actually even into this next week. And, and uh, this weekend is actually a huge weekend of celebration for graduation parties going on, right? And you see so many people rallying together to say, way to go, man, good job, and way to grind it out. And, and uh, I, we were at a number of graduation parties yesterday trying to fit so many in and, and uh, trying to pop around. And, and um, I, I'm just saying, uh, it's awesome to be able to give a high five or a fist bump. It's hilarious to hear when you're like, hey, great job. And they're like, I didn't try that hard. Like, all right, way to know yourself. I don't know. I don't know. Keep trying harder, right? And uh, man, it's fun to just be able to joke around and laugh and hear the different stories going on, see all the different foods. Um, for me to get some M&Ms, those aren't really, really alive in our home right now. Not allowed to have M&Ms in the house, so... It's nice to see M&Ms around, grab a few of those, be able to laugh with people and see some spike ball going down and volleyball and, and uh, just seeing different uh, ones of you being able to laugh and joke together and, and uh, running into so many different ones of you at all the different parties that were going on. And uh, so just great to be able to be a part of all that. Here's one thing I noticed that was awesome. Um, Pretty much every single time that you were talking to the one who was graduating, you could see their parents in them. You could see how they stood. You could see how they talked. You could see some of the language they used or a way they described something. You could see a hope in what they were saying, and you've heard that from the parents. You can see mom and dad in this one graduating. And uh, it's a huge deal. It's a sweet honor and to be able to see that kind of connectedness and that sort of impact as they're getting ready to go up and go out and some of who they are is formed by you as parents. It's a sweet privilege. Some of you are like, oh no. <laughs> what have we done? Right? But it's a sweet privilege to be able to see it and it's great for us as we're getting in the car and we're driving back home to be able to reflect on some of those things and love it. And man, I'm just telling you, God is saying the exact same thing for us. As we are walking through the life struggles and the life victories, as we are graduates in the little things along the way, he is looking in and he's saying, make sure you're looking more like your dad in this. Make sure that the impact of God the Father is all over you and watch God get the glory, right? That's what it's all about. May we walk in love. Make sure you rally to this symbol cause. Lord, I long to know you as the one who is love. And Lord, help me to be a little more loving tomorrow. And all of God's people said, so simple question, how are you doing with loving? How are you doing with putting the other person's needs first? and making sure you're lifting up. May God get the glory. That's the first step. Second, partner. Partner with Jesus and his purity, not the world and its impurity. Partner with Jesus and his purity, not the world and its impurity. 
So now he starts going into a list of some of the things we need to stay away from. And he says, you know, like, walk in love on the other side of it, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Now he's starting to go, he was talking about this godly love, this agape love, now he's going to this worldly sexual expression along the way that can get so messed up. He's like, but sexual immorality... And make sure there's none of that, right? Sexual immorality, this word literally means to have any sort of sexual interaction outside of the marriage of one man and one woman. That's what this means. Sexual immorality, any sex outside of the marriage relationship of one man and one woman. That's sexual immorality. That's this word here in the Greek. And it's a huge deal that we grasp the integrity of the word It's talking about the marriage covenant and the value of that marriage bond and celebrating the oneness in marriage and make sure we hold it to that. It says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, all impurity, this is speaking just in general to uncleanness. This is a physical or a mental. Could be even what you're thinking. It could be alone or with others. This is a general uncleanness of thought or action as we walk along impurity. And uh, it feeds the soul and where we head next, right? And be careful what you ponder on and be careful what you long for and sexual immorality and all impurity. And uh, how many impurities? All, don't miss it. You're like, well, there's a few impurities that I toy with, but those are okay. And the rest of the impurities I'll stay away from. That's not what it says. All impurity. All wrong thinking, all wrong acting set aside. Or covetousness. Or covetousness. And this word literally means I got to have more. Like with whatever I have right now, there needs to be more. We just talked about love being satisfied. Covetousness is like, nope, can't. I see that over there, and I just want to have it. Got to have it as mine. Got to have the products as mine. Got to have the the attention as mine. Got to have the title as mine. Got to have the money as mine. Got to have it, right? This is a moreness thing where we walk through this world, and we cannot be satisfied because we are not finding satisfaction in our God. We're trying to find satisfaction in stuff, and it won't work. You'll never be able to satisfy with the stuff of this world. Covetousness is clinging to the stuff of this world and just saying, gotta have it. Impurity and covetousness tie together to cause us to drive out and do things we don't wanna be around at all. It says, must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Like those things should not even be named among you. Get those kinds of actions and things away from you. Should not be named among you as you are called saints. Did you know that? That you are called a saint. Some of you are like, that's a little bit of a stretch for me. No, saint, man. Super important that we grasp this. And what is he saying? He's saying, biblically, God is not, if you are saved, if you have trusted Christ as Savior, he is not looking at you and your actions and declaring this word. He is looking at you and Christ's actions and declaring this word. Know this man, the righteousness of Christ is applied to you and all believers are called saints. Did you know that? Every single believer is called a saint. 
You might be like, I don't know, man. I thought like some of the churches, don't they make just like certain guys and they have to be like certain goodnesses levels and like there has to be miracle things or something and then that guy's a saint and yeah, that's not what the scripture talks about. All believers are saints. Jesus Christ is our king and we are called into the kingdom and he applies the righteousness of Christ to us and so we are now that. Saints, he's like, make sure you live it. Make sure you reflect that. Don't miss who you are in Christ. And may that be a center portion of your life and living. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking. And these three kind of run together as sort of a language statement, right? And how to use your words. And uh, filthiness, this is like, you know, it's obscene. It's dirty, it's, maybe just say it this way, it's sin-celebrating. That's filthiness. Sin-celebrating. And maybe you see a lot of that at work, uh, or maybe it's in your broader extended family. Maybe it's in your home and it needs to go, right? This moment of talking about whatever's going on and joking about sin in some way to just make it sort of the attractive thing. It's sin-celebrating is filthiness is at the middle of that. It says, nor foolish talk, and the next two words actually have the word lagos or word kind of built into the word, okay? This one has the word lagos word, and the word in front of it is the word for moron, just so you know. No moron talk. That's literally what it says. No foolish talk, no silly talk. This is like in the obscenity realm, the low humor, This is the joking and the the silliness that starts to revolve around waste of time conversation. Could get into really some filthy and obscene stuff, but more or less it's just, why are you even wasting your time doing that, right? And just be careful with the talk that gets to waste of time that moves you into talking about the degrading or filthy things of life, okay? This is the low end of obscenity. And then there's nor crude joking. This word literally starts with the word well, and the next word in it is turned. Well-turned words. That's what this is. This is a wit. This is a guy who is actually able to hear something happen. You see a set of events, and you're able to look at it kind of from a new angle. You turn the words, and it gets people to go, oh, that's so true. You like see this thing from a new insight. But this one in the context of where we're at, is you're turning it to a new insight and degrading it down into the filthy all at one time. It's the wit that's able to take any statement made and make it a sex joke. That wit. Some of you right now are like, I know that guy. Like, you know what's going on. We know the people who love to be able to joke where every single thing turns to a sex joke. Where every moment that we're talking, we're always constantly thinking about how do we degrade it down? How do I make this more filthy, obscene, sexual in some way? And uh, this is often deeply um, unsettling because it's taking what's actually not bad at all. It's just something going on in life, but turning it to the crude or the obscene, right? And uh, that can even be sexuality in a wrong sense. Let me just say it this way. Um, Watch your humor. And as we follow Christ, just be super careful with what you laugh at. Here's another way to say it. What we laugh at and what we weep for 
show what we value. What we laugh at and what we weep, at, weep for show what we value. It's kind of a spin-off on a Warren, Warren Wearsby quote there, but what we laugh at and what we weep for show what we value. No, when you laugh, you're making a statement about your value system, okay? Just know that. And, and so now if you're laughing at something, you're like, why am I valuing that? I'm just telling you, Jana knows this. She would nod her head strongly on this one. I love to study things, okay? And studying humor is like life-altering. All of a sudden, you're horrified with yourself. Why did I laugh at that? When you start to see the depths of humor and you start to understand how humor works, it's amazingly complex. PhD dissertations on what make people laugh and we're still barely getting it, right? And some people have a great sense of humor. What does that mean? It means they learned along the way what got people to laugh and what gets them to laugh, but they're not even sure what they're valuing and laughing at. Laughter is so important to the value of life. It is. Like, laugh and laugh well. Just be wise about what you're laughing at. If it's always laughing at someone else, adjust your humor. That's a little more junior high humor. That's a little bit of the, we're just starting to come up through and we start mocking and cutting, right? The sarcasms that cut down, the degrades that rip, and be careful of that stuff. And watch it. There is such sophisticated humor and ways to go at it. Um, all right, this is in my notes, but I'm just going to say it because I love to say this. I may not say this at the 11, so here we go. There is one thing that makes people laugh big. It's called benign violation theory. Benign violation theory. All right, benign, like it's not a big deal. Violation, that's a big deal. So there's this conflict, right? And so you bring up a topic, and as you start to dare to talk about the topic, violation, you turn off right at the end and you give it some other kind of softer, and it's like, oh, it wasn't that bad. The release of tension as you're like, where are they going? What are they doing? And they pull off, makes you go, oh, oh. You did this big, deep guffaw laugh. When you laugh that way, just so you know, a benign violation theory most likely just took place. Somebody pushing a limit pulled off. You're like, now my humor's all messed up, Tim. I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> I'm not asking you to get all deep into it. I'm just saying, know this. We laugh for reasons. We laugh with value statements. We laugh along the way in life. Let's make sure we value uh, the glorious, the beautiful, the humorous, the insightful that stay out of the obscene. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Huge deal as we go through it. I'll just say um, this foolish talk, this silly talk, that's kind of the low humor, the low obscenity stuff. And the crude joking is kind of the high obscenity stuff. A high wit, but it's still twisted into a dark or a filthy environment. May we not be about any of those things. Okay, one last thing I just want to say about humor, um, this phrase, I was just joking, should always be followed with, I'm sorry, okay? I was just joking, like we love to tease back and forth. If you feel you had to say that, you know it went too far, right? I was just joking, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just always follow with an apology. That means you didn't measure it well enough and you stung out on that, right? Be careful with that and make sure that your humor is not biting or cutting. May God get all the glory, okay? Huge deal that we grasp that. Um, by the way, with humor all the way around, benign violation theory kind of stuff, all that, you know, the whole, is it too far? Too soon? Have you heard that? 
too soon? What are we saying? Look, I'm joking around with something that can be tender. Is it still tender? Like, is this benign or is this really malignant violation theory, right? Did I just really wound you, right? Too soon? Like, that's what we're doing. We're measuring, can they toy around with this or not? Watch your humor. Keep it on the clean. May God get the glory. And all of God's people said, all right, that's where we're at. Um, That said, it says, which are out of place, like those don't belong with one who is a saint, saved, sanctified because of Jesus Christ. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. This is an amazing insight to humor. Good humor is thankful humor. Good words are thankful words. Teardowns, rip-aparts, cut-ups, can't-stands, can-you-believes, gut-it-outs, those are missing the thankfulness piece. And man, I'm telling you, good humor leaves it intact and celebrates what God's giving and is happy and celebratory of all that's going on. It isn't wrong to laugh. It isn't wrong to high-five. It isn't wrong to get into a deep, enjoyable time with each other. Just keep it thankful. Keep it celebratory. May God get all the glory. Man, enjoy that. It's super fulfilling. I know this for fact. When you see these kinds of words and statements, there will be such laughter in heaven, it's going to be unbelievable. And it's never, ever sinful. Never turns a corner, never gets too dark, never went too far, never hurt someone, never made it all about me. Pure, pristine, glorious, God-honoring, massive, celebrating, fun, unbelievable laughter. It's going to be a part of heaven, man, I'm telling you. Let's start practicing some of it here. May God get the glory. The world does not have the corner on laughter. And all of God's people said, man, be hilarious. Be cool, but be hilarious, right? All right, enough said. Thanksgiving, it's got to be a part of it. For you may be sure of this. This literally says, know this. That everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, those are the three words that we just looked at right before, right? So he's repeating the words from up above. The sexually immoral, the impure, or the coveter, right? If that's where you're going, if you're going to be known by those actions and not by your Savior, like the bottom line is if you've chosen not to be saved, but instead to be practicing whatever you want, he's talking now about the unsaved, and he's like, you're known by your actions, right? For those who are saved, you are not known by your actions. You are known by Christ's actions, Praise God for that, right? And we're known by Christ's actions. And here he's like, if you're known by your actions and your works, and this is your works, that's in trouble, man. And he goes back through that same list and he says, just know they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They have no inheritance. To be known by your own works is to not be saved. And to not be saved is to have no inheritance. Man, may we be known by the works of Christ. May his works be pouring over us and may it be all about him as our glorious king. Praise God, I don't have to be known for my works. Man, we gotta grasp that. Here's one thing I've noticed. The harder you've lived life, the rougher you've walked, the deeper you've failed, the easier it is to embrace the phrase, it's not our works that save us. We're like, amen to that, thank God. And the cleaner you've walked and the more you've gone to life where you're like, I don't know, I'm not that bad. I mean, quite frankly, looking up and down the row right now, thinking I'm measuring pretty well in this row, right? And you're like, I don't know, maybe I'm good with 
standing on my own works. Harder and harder for us to say works don't matter. Please hear me. Works will never get it done. Never, ever, ever. If you are the one in this room that is the most pristine in your walk, still woefully short of the glory of God, Romans 3. Every one of us in dire need of a Savior. And all of God's people said, huge deal that we grasp that. He's just saying here, man, if you want to be known by your works, watch out. Those things don't go well. But he's also saying more than that. He's also saying, please hear me. So if you're known by Christ's works, live that and show that. And for one who just goes on practicing sin and never, ever, ever making any changes, 1 John 3.8 says, if those who are practicing sin that don't get out of it, that just keep on going in it, there's no repentance in any way, shape, or form. Man, that's of the devil. That's a huge deal. Ongoing sin with no progress, that's not saved. He's like, if you're just steeped in sin and you're just holding on to it, be careful. Progress. One degree at a time. And praise God, I am known by my Savior and His works and not my own. Okay? It says here, that they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. They're talking about eternity there. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's like, don't kid yourself. This is why Jesus died. And if this is why Jesus died, may we not continue to act and practice in it. Therefore, do not be partners with them. The ones who choose to run in filthiness and sinfulness and all this stuff, whether it be actions or words. Watch how you walk and watch who you walk with. Don't partner with them. I just want to say this. Um, this past week, Monday, I had an MRI. And uh, six months since I had had radiation, for those of you who've been around a short period of time, so I've had a brain tumor thing going on for a number of years. 2013, 15, and 18, we had surgeries, three major surgeries. And then at the end of 18, just back in November, we ended up having a massive radiation treatment as well, gamma knife. So uh, really just pounded the snot out of what was remaining and hoping to get it. And um, so we went in for this six-month MRI just to get an update. And the bottom line is you got to picture tumors are a lot like, like speedboats going along at 50 miles an hour. When you cut the power, you know, they just kind of keep going for a while as they kind of slow down, right? And so if you hit that with the radiation, if you hit the tumor with radiation, it kind of slows down over time, but your prayer is that you would get it stopped and reversed, right? And so six months out, you never know. You could see some progress still. It could be getting bigger and, and those kinds of things. And so when we were going in for this, we really didn't know. I kept saying to John, I just expect a little bigger, you know, not as big as fast, yada, yada, but let's see where we're at. And, and uh, yeah, she was like, no way, I'm not going to expect that. I'm praying for other. And I'm like, okay, fine. So... Uh, so went in for the MRI and ended up getting a note back from the doctor Monday night uh, that said, just so you know, the tumor uh, has slightly reduced. Praise God for that. Amen. Amen. Honestly, had no idea we'd be saying that. And uh, uh, to quote Dr. Klaffenstein, he said, hey man, we've got this thing going the right direction, maybe the first, for the first time in a while, maybe in a long time. So praise God. So uh, just love that. Love what God's doing. 
and the work and the healing that he's doing in it. Please hear me on this. Every surgery I went through was doctors looking to remove the tumor. Every radiation I'm going into, or that one radiation that we went to, was about removing the tumor. Get the impurities out. And that's what we're going after. How silly and crazy of me to continue to live as if that wasn't gotten out, as if it wasn't being reduced, as if I wasn't feeling better. No way, man. And Christ is doing a healing work in our life and he's beginning to remove the impurities one degree at a time in various ways. Live it. Love it. Laugh it. And watch God get all the glory. You praise your king that he is working inside one moment at a time. Walk in love with all you've got because that's who your God is. And live it to the max because that's who your God is. And watch him get all the glory. And all of God's people said, amen, man. Let's pray.